Hello gamers, I'm Paul, and welcome to Tried and True, a story focusing on the revitalization of the War Machine and Hordes community in the small state of Delaware. Our story couldn't have happened without the hard work and dedication of the active members who made this possible. Their time and effort has been instrumental in getting our meta to where it is now. So join myself and members of the Delaware War Machine community as we reflect on the steps taken getting the meta to where it is now and how you can use our experiences in leveraging your own success and expanding your own War Machine community. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of Tried and True. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Erica. This is actually the first time that we're not going to have any introductions because we have all of our co-hosts at this time. So we wanted to take a moment and just talk a little bit about some awesome events that have happened within the last week. We ended up going to Maryland for an open play and we also hosted our first ever food machine. And I like how as we've done more of these episodes, we added more and more hosts. But now that the meta is up and running and so are our hosts, we're not adding any more. And we're about to kind of transition into this phase where we try and coast and continue to build. some kind of analogy or plan. Weird. <laughs> but what were your overall thoughts of Maryland? I think that they had a very good open play setup. You know, we had our own area of the store that we were able to gather in and we took over all of the tables back there. There was good attendance for the event. And I think that there were a good range of players. There were some small point games. There were some larger point games. There was some, you know, fun stuff going on that wasn't necessarily 100% by the rules, but everyone was enjoying it. So more power to them. What was the name of the store? Critical Hit Games is in Abingdon, Maryland. Yeah, that place is awesome. They have a lot of space and a lot of 3D terrain lying around. They they had a, they were very prepared for us. <laughs> that was beautiful tables. Just some of the most beautiful tables of War Machine I've played in a long time. I was going to say, one of my favorite things about visiting other stores is seeing uh, what armies those players play. <laughs> so I think seeing uh, Ryan's army, that was my first time seeing a dwarves army since Mark 1. So <laughs> it was really cool seeing those models on the table. Oh God, and Max with his double full tuffalo unit where he's a, he's just throwing <laughs> yaks at you all day long. Yak attack. Maryland was really, really fun. Ryan and Sam have been coming to our store for a little bit. So I think this was his second Sunday open play and we were able to marry up our schedules. We went down there to support them and it was fun. I think we had like what, like 12, 14 players there. Yeah. For their first event. That's, that's really good. That's great. Yeah. First or second event. You see the trends, right? They were relying on us to bring five of those 14 players. We, we did that. We helped them out, but that garners even more attention because everyone else in the store is going to say, hey, what are those, you know, almost 20 people doing back there? It's not even a tournament. They're just here hanging out, having fun. I want a piece of that. And we got to go and share the space with the other players. I know that there was like a magic or some kind of card tournament going on over there. We had some other people, I think, playing Flames of War. So there was definitely a lot of eyes like looking back behind us. And then yesterday we ended up having our first ever food machine event. That was incredible. Yes. We smashed our uh, donation goal, right? Uh, so as of this morning, we're at $620. Nice. Out of a starting goal of 500 So thank you, everybody that came out and donated. That's not even including all the cans that people brought in that I still need to go and run over to the food bank. Yeah, I'm surprised you were able to drive home with both your army and all of those donations in the car. <laughs> That's what the SUV is for. <laughs> yeah, it was cool having people come in who might not have necessarily played that day that were part 
part of our gaming community, but came and dropped off cans and rooted on the players. So that was that. Oh, was I didn't really even cool. notice that. Yeah. So I think Tim stopped by and Jamie. Hoy, Hoy came too. And Hoy, that's right. Yeah, Hoy stopped by also. It was really cool with doing that. And for our people who don't know what Food Machine is, Privateer Press put out this rule set for an alternate like steamroller format called Food Machine back in 2016. The overall idea is that you would end up bringing cans of food, making donations, and you'd be able to quote unquote cheat at the game. Shamelessly cheat, yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is the dirty stuff coming up. (laughs) You could be able to spend anywhere from like changing rules on your models, increasing their threat ranges, stealing spells from like other casters, or even just having another caster run their army, which is how I think Pete won. He took Madrak 3, the the gator chieftain, as he called him. There's a reason that they don't have battle lusting gators. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. It was a great opportunity. We had the local news reporters come on out to go and cover the story. And it was just great. It was good publicity for alternate universes. And we are just very thankful that they allowed us to go ahead and use this space. And it was also good publicity for the Food Bank of Delaware. You know, you just like ask yourselves what it is that we are are doing these events for, right? Why would we take a regular steamroller and turn it into this this fun format? Why? Because I wanted to play Sorsha 1 with an arc node. That's why. (laughs) Such BS. So dirty. I think a lot of it boils down to at the end of the day it's a charity thing and you want to incentivize people to spend more money for charity and what better way to incentivize people than to allow them to cheat at the game they're playing anyway so I will I will shamelessly admit that I spent like what $15 putting that lancer in my list and I arced one spell all tournament and it felt so good <laughs> when I was um, doing the cash donations this morning getting them on the site I saw your name on there a couple times in the donation <laughs> like it's like it was him and Pete like you just see $15 yeah, you're like 20. back and forth <laughs> that's right <laughs> Yeah, between games, you were like, I need to reload. (laughs) Schmeckles, please. Yeah, so uh, what we did was instead of having cans or dollars out on the tables, we used poker chips. So it was a one for one. So one can or one dollar for a poker chip. And then we had black chips to represent $10 worth of tokens. So it was fun going to the tables and just seeing the stacks. It was like Scrooge McDuck with the stacks (laughs) of poker chips on everyone's tables. Swimming in piles and piles of cash. You know you can't dive into a pile of gold, right? Like, it is a solid. It can't swim in that stuff. You're going to break your face. I think Family Guy did an episode about that. Oh, did they? <laughs> Damn it. They got the cutaway before I did. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun just going back and forth and just watching people go, no, you re-roll. No, no, you re-roll. No, you re- I need more cash. No, 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 you. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, I need more cash. Paul did the dirty by uh, posting printouts of the QR code <laughs> so you could fast reload by everybody's table. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean... It's the casino strategy. You got to you got to pull from, you know. That's right. It, everything's available. That's right. It's right there for you whenever you want it. You can use it. Overall, I think Food Machine was a great event. It was a way to keep things fresh. It was for some of our players the first steamroller that they've ever done. Other players, it's the it was just an interesting format that they never got to go ahead and and, and uh see before. I think the one small downside of it is that since it wasn't your proper 75 point steamroller you're not going to get like the traveling pros who like to go to like those kind of those style of steamrollers so we probably could have gotten a slightly larger turnout but i think this ended up being better well that kind of goes into like just managing the expectations right we said we wanted it to be a 50 point event first of all just to kind of you know help out everybody so that way they weren't overwhelmed with the choices that they made trying to learn models that they never played with before Mm -hmm. i mean playing choir with Rhett 
I mean, that was a little bit of a of a weird order of operations things to go and do. It's worse for your opponent, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just managing those expectations. So what we wanted to do in this episode is talk about now that you have these successful events and you have the traction that you need to get your new players and get your returning players to come in is, well, how do you temper the group, right? How do you make sure that it sustains and that it doesn't end up falling into that trap of that self-fulfilling prophecy? What we decided to do in this episode episode is talk a little bit about what does it mean like to have a community versus a meta why do these terms sound different to each other the importance of people first versus the game and finally just how to manage your expectations for your new your current your returning players so that way they know what they're getting into so let's go ahead and start off with the difference between meta and community i was really surprised because i didn't realize that meta was actually an acronym meta is used in more than just wargaming uh pretty much in uh any kind of game really so like league of legends overwatch right goats was the big meta for a while so the (laughs) acronym actually stands for most effective tactics available for me meta has always meant what are the popular factions or themes that are being played in a specific geographical area and the general player vibe so it may shift and evolve especially after big tournaments or other competitive events so it's a it's an evolving moving thing so it's one thing to know how many players play trolls in your area. It's another thing to know what that does to the other players. Because if you have an overabundance of trolls players, a lot of the other factions are going to be looking for ways to include grievous wounds. It's not just enough to know the facts of the area. Meta comes in when you're trying to understand how that affects the games that you will be playing in that area. And then I want to just talk a little bit about meta, right? And I'll go back to League of Legends, right? You have your mid, who is your major assassin. You have your tank or bruiser up in top lane. So that is what is being played versus who's actually behind there and playing it. That's an interesting dichotomy between those two terms. Like, are we focusing on what the people are playing or are we focusing actually on the people that are playing the game when it comes to the subject of community essentially is what we're trying to diversify from the from the name meta i guess we're just trying to concentrate on people you know i mean like everyone has groups or rituals that they try to do on a regular basis you know i mean this just ends up having to be ours i guess for some people it's you know playing flag football for other people it's church or whatever their their groups end up being but for this it's just sort of everyone needs a sense of community so this and then everyone needs people that have something they have in common with a common interest so this just happens to be that it kind of works that way meta for me has always been been a more competitive term it's more of a this is the meta this is what you have to prepare for when it comes to community it's more it's like like paul said it's literally just the people you know that you're getting together with right to me this means that this has to be considered with my goals in playing the game deep in my bones i know that i'm a competitive person and a competitive player but i can't get to a competitive level without having good opponents to play against and what i want in a community is a space to build that up i know that i can't hit the ground running and have the expectation that every new player that walks through the door be an expert at this game. It's just not going to happen. Sometimes you'll get a transplant from someone else's meta and a new player will come in and they will already know what they're doing and that's great. But most of the time that doesn't happen. So my goals for this community are to make the individual players, regardless of what they're trying to play or want to play, I want to make them players themselves 
the best players possible within the bounds of the community. So if someone wants to be a more casual player, I want to support that, but I want to make sure that they still have good play habits and can still play the game cleanly and accurately, even though they try to be more casual about it. Because in my personal viewpoint, you know, just wanting to have fun with the game and not trying too hard about it isn't an excuse for missing rules, doing the incorrect interactions, or not maneuvering your actual miniatures in a way that is compatible with the game's rules. You can have both. You can have a fun time with this game and still be precise, accurate, and, you know, able. And and that's what I'm trying to build. To piggyback off of what Dan said, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. For me, building up the community. So as a player, it's exciting for me to see other armies that aren't, you know, Menoth or Red or sorry, Dan Kador. (laughs) I play them as well. Uh, So it's so cool to see people excited about picking up Signar models, picking up Trolls models, picking up uh, Cricks. Like, I haven't played Cricks. We have four Cricks players now when they were like none. I don't understand how this is happening. No, it's it's, it's so cool to see these these models and other people's creative take on the models. We have Mm -hmm. people in our community that are doing converted models. It's so creative and the painting schemes for newer people to wargaming i'm really impressed yeah i just have to quickly add in you know for what it's worth on cricks models like you don't see a lot of them so if i were to go to a tournament and someone was like yeah i've got two heavy hitting cricks armies i'd be like i don't do i don't have this in my like relevant experience backlog from the last two years i haven't played a actual cricks player you know i've got new players in my meta now that have a faction that I never get experience to play against. So that's super exciting for me. Before you know it, everyone's going to be wearing jerseys around here. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. All right, tattoos it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's exciting to have different armies that we're not used to seeing. And I think for me personally, so as a player in 2022 versus uh, playing this game in 2019, for me personally, I have way more of a positive outlook on it. And I think that's, that's important too when you're introducing this game or playing with new people or people in general is try to be positive about it. It's so easy to rip on Rock riot quest models or archons right thank god they got nerfed in october but i think that's really important is maintaining a positive outlook on the game overall you don't want to kill the fun of another player that's excited about the models that they brought to the table you want to go play house guard riflemen by all means let's go put them on the table and see what happens you know but i would never want to go and take away the fun of that and what's neat is that even with what our players are playing and what they're excited about we're excited about it too and we're offering suggestions on how they can go and play it like jack wanting to really go and play tharn we're really trying to help him out and being able to make the best tharn army that he can get i watched roven and co roll a hard 11 and assassinate ashlyn yesterday (laughs) just (laughs) just off the table the best miniatures in the game are the ones that typically end up either having the highest maximum output on a chance that you spike something or that they are just above the curve in terms of reliability. That doesn't mean every model in your army has to be one of those things. And if someone's excited about buying this thing or that thing, and it's not commonly played in high-level tournaments, far be it from me to say you shouldn't buy that. It's a piece of shit because that doesn't contribute to the positive 
vibe that we're going for. That doesn't help them get more excited about the game. That only damages their perception of a small part that they had previously been interested in, and now they may not be. Alpha Dan's comment, I think in the last podcast, uh, you talked about basically spending hundreds of dollars on in like an army drop just for a tournament. So I like that people are picking up what they want to play and it's being promoted within our community. Like play what you want. You don't have to go for, you know, whatever won in LVO or the last big regional tournament because that's that's no fun either. Stop spamming Crucible Guard, you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, uh, a lesson that I had to learn the hard way you know i sat there after that tournament saying i just bought all of these archons and for what one more first place victory now what i'm very close to getting burned out on this game i need to take a step back you know if i pressure newer players into trying to get to that point as well and i say no you got to buy this this isn't if you're going to play cricks this is what you need to buy you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna push them up to the same precipice that i had been at and that's not conducive to keeping them in the game that's not conducive to building our community you may not have somebody that's going to pull you back into the game yeah or have the experience to recognize you need to step back yourself right but how do you think that this overall has changed the perception within our delaware war machine community now that we are focusing on our players as people as opposed to focusing them as opponents you know i i say in uh teaching right had a principal say to me, you only have one opportunity to make a good first impression for your students. And that has been a very strong mantra that I bring to every single school year because I need to show my students that I care about them before I care about the content. Why are the students going to go show any interest in you know, my material if they don't think I really show any interest in them as individuals? I think in the past, it's always been you know, a very small core group of very dedicated players before, even before COVID, it was, it wasn't exactly like you didn't have an influx of newer people. You didn't have a lot of outside interests. So I think now being able to communicate with people as people, instead of just having an opponent across the table that you want to, you know, murder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you, and then you go your separate ways. You don't hang out afterwards. You don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a better atmosphere. I think it's more welcoming and that's important. Hey, can we go back to like Boker Brawl for like one second? Did all of us like engage with the other opponent? Because I think with every single person that I played against, I asked them, how long have you been playing? You know, what got you into this army? Where are you out of? Oh, I got this. A shout out to Rusty Q out of the Colorado meta. Go ahead, Erica. So uh, my very first game, so I didn't want to play in the tournament. I had bought a ticket. I was going to like paint and help judge for Seth that weekend. And long story short, Paul, Dan, Andy's team lost their Grimkin player. They asked me to play. I was like, okay. I was basically piloting someone else's Grimkin army. It's very, uh, very interesting list. So I had played in one steamroller before and I had no idea like there's people like with jerseys. There's like Twitch streaming going on. Uh, so I was a little intimidated at, at, at the first event. So my first opponent um, was a guy named uh, Rusty Q. And he actually plays nationally throughout the country at some really big events. I think he was just at LVO. Well, he plays Grimkin. So, you know, he was just wearing right, regular clothes that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's important for me, okay? 
<laughs> um, so we got paired up together and he's prior service military, I'm military. So that kind of helped, you know, bridge our, uh, our initial conversation, but played the same army. I had such a great time and I, I was like right up front with him. I'm like, dude, this is my first time in one of these. I'm not sure what to expect or how competitive an opponent I'm going to be for you on this first round. And he's like, Hey, let's just go to the table and play a game. And I had so much fun. Of course, you know, I, I, I lost pretty bad on scenario on that one, but I, I had so much fun. And for him as a Grimkin player that plays some of the best opponents in the nation, he gave me some great pointers. I was able to bounce some stuff off of him. And all I'm trying to say is it, it was great. I saw him as Rusty Q, not my Grimkin opponent. And that helped make it a very positive experience for me. See the person, not the player. I'm going to go and kill this glitter imp. Hey, go ahead, man. Go ahead. I'm going to RFP your monkey. Yeah, go ahead, bro. It's cool. <laughs> nah, I'm just going to leave it alone. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I literally, like, I'm going to run this guy off in Narnia. And he's like, you know what? I'll leave him alone. I was like, cool. Thanks, Thrusty. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the, the, the conversation there, right? So we're focusing on the players and making sure they're having a good time. Let's go and talk about our normal size games right we normally do 75 point games you have a lot of newer returning players right that may not have that same experience level that you do playing those 75 point games you know go and meet them on their level right go play those battle box 25 50 point games and then over time lift them up to yours right it's not like really right for me to stand up on this platform and tell the person to jump if they can't do it so it's it's up to us in order to go and pull them up to that level if they want it right and maybe some people just want to do their brawl machine point level some of them might only want to do those 50 points. When I started playing back in you know 2011 or something, the store that I originally played at, there were always a couple of people standing around when you're looking for a game. And I would say, hey, I've finally built a 35-point army. I can play you with that. And they would say to me, mm, sorry, I only have 50 points with me. And you know, it, it doesn't feel good. You feel like you're not doing it right. Recently, I've been packing you know, a battle box army. I've been packing a 15-point army. I've been packing a 25... 50 and 75 they're all kind of variations of the same thing that just work out maybe i swap out one unit or one solo here or there you know you can do it right and that will help support players that are just getting back into back into the game and building up their collection or you know this is their first war game and they just haven't scaled up yet you need to be supportive of the the current capacity that each individual player has you can't expect somebody to bench 200 pounds if they've never benched 150 Right. So you, you have to be able to build up to it. Right. I think our Escalation League is a perfect example of this, honestly. It's literally just, you know, I mean, a lot of our more experienced players are playing completely new armies as well. So it's just fun to, you know, play zero points, play 10 points, play 15 points as the weeks go on of something that you're kind of almost in the not quite on the same level as a brand new person. But, you know, you're having fun doing something different. But you already know the rules enough to teach somebody that you're that's brand new to the game. So it's it's honestly I think it's, I think it's going to bring a lot of people along to increase their collection, like Dan said. There's also other things that are good with focusing on the person as well. You show interest and you show that you care about the other individual. One of our players, his mom was recently in the hospital. He was gone for like two or three weeks. And I ended up reaching out to him, not saying, hey, when are you coming to the shop? I said, hey, it's been a while since we've seen you. Is everything okay? What's going on? And he ended up telling me like, yeah, my mom actually has stage one cancer. It's fine. Like she's in like prep for surgery to go get it removed and everything is fine. I've just been kind of bogged down by that, right? And we're happy that, you know, the surgery went well. She's in recovery right now. And it just, it really fosters that sense of community. And one of our 
sets of players, it's a father and son. And the the son, I think, was just recently sick with some kind of bug. And we're all like asking, hey, is he okay? Is he all right? Do you need anything? Yeah. And this is one of my favorite things is that it, it takes a village, right? To raise a, a child that they say. He's like a young adult. He's not a child. Is this kid <laughs> 16 or 17? Us. <laughs> it's just an idiom. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Paul, you're a teacher. My wife is a teacher. I think we're both pretty familiar with the horror stories of really, really terrible parents, right? Sadly. Um, And when someone that's a parent comes to me and says, you and the other members of the community are really welcoming to us. You're spending a lot of time there. In the case of emergency, if I'm not able to be at the store, but my son is at the store, I want you to have my contact information. He's a responsible individual. I trust him to be there alone, uh, you know, and he's of an age that that would be appropriate, which is, which is key. You know, you can't necessarily always trust everybody. Yeah, don't don't drop your nine-year-olds off, please. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Um, this father trusts his son to be there and just wants to make sure that there is a safety net in place in case of emergency. So. You know, I let them know you sending this message to me as an organizer, to my my other co-organizers here on the podcast. This means a lot to me. It's and thank you for doing this because it shows both you and your son have a respect for our community that I haven't seen in many other places. And this is a positive thing. And I think that it should be celebrated with that. Let's get into the final topic, right? So what about managing the expectations, right? He knows what the expectations are with our group. So how do we manage those expectations for our new players, our our current players, our returning players? So that way, everyone knows when you come up to Tuesday open plays or when you go to Sunday open plays or the steamrollers, everyone knows what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, so I have to do a shout out to Jaden at Linus site that podcast for new players it's a great listen i highly recommend it for anybody that's starting up a new community to uh to take a listen one of the things he mentions is okay so what player base are you going for are you going for a highly competitive hey our store our meta is going to be the one that's going to hit up all of these tournaments you know try to get our name out there or are we looking to invite new players and kind of grow that community so i think off the bat that's really important and not saying you can't focus on on one over the other or not be flexible with it let's say you know, we're all planning on going to Broker Brawl in the fall. So probably in the summer, we're, we're probably going to be bringing more 75-point armies to the store to get practice in. But that doesn't mean, you know, in your off-season or however you'd want to, you know, look at that timetable. doesn't mean you can't be flexible. Communication is the key. And I think Jaden talks about that a lot in the podcast, is being upfront and being straight with people. Uh, managing expectations is only possible when you're communicating what those expectations are. Maybe you have, you know, the casual list and maybe off the side, you do your more competitive list or possibly if you get there early enough, like, hey, we plan on doing our competitive list at this time just so we get the reps within it. But then we'll be able to to be able to play afterwards. You don't want to scare away your players like you don't want them to feel like they don't matter. But I think it's just important to have that communication of being able to know what is it that you want to get out of it. Your goal doesn't have to be the same every week either your goals can change as long as you're communicating about it say hey we're we're going to compete next month so we're trying to get more reps in 
for the next couple weeks. You know, I mean, I think people understand that. Yeah. And and communicating that with them shows them that, in fact, you do respect them because you're letting them know what your goals and your wants are. I think one of the benefits, too, with our group in the region, we have a shared Google Doc that's online. So all of our stores within, you know, 100 mile radius, uh, we're, we're tracking on what events are happening when, so we're not double booking. Uh, some of our open plays, you know, you could advertise them as possibly like, hey, if you want to practice your list, here's an opportunity here are other players that are possibly playing in that tournament. So like Dan was saying, communication's so important and kind of putting that expectation out on the forefront. That way nobody feels like they're forgotten or that they don't matter. Right. And open play to me means bring anything, play whatever you want. But then another type of open play you could schedule would be, you know, steamroller practice, which would be like the expectation going in would be we're looking to practice competitive 75 point level lists because that's what this has been tagged as or advertised as. And then I guess not only for the expectations on what kind of like, I guess what you're scheduling out, but also the expectations for the games themselves. In the case of Maryland, my first game I played against Ryan and again, critical hit games had the beautiful 3D terrain. I wanted to go and fight on this desert. There was like just beautiful obelisks and like rock formations and these big old platforms like hills. I talked to Ryan. I said, dude, there's no like 3D elevation rules, but do you want to play with these? And he says, that sounds like fun. How do you want to go and house rule that? So we basically like kind of came up with our own house rule of like, you had to go on these steps in order to go put the models out there. And it made for a more engaging experience where he had his mortar crew on like one mountain i had my rifle crew on another and we're just like taking pot shots at each other's army and it just felt it felt very thematic it felt very much like you were watching a movie as opposed to just like playing the game and we were able to get that awesome experience however dan you can talk about your experience with ryan that following game Uh, i mean it was a pretty standard 75 point level experience you know we moved to things to a different table the table already had a scenario and already had flat terrain laid out on it and you know we just dumped our lists on the table and went to town beat the crap out of each other for two hours so and and i'm totally fine with that i love that because it's stress tests you know my list it stress tests me as a player and this is what i enjoy about the game is that competitive sense of just locking horns with somebody and going and and just seeing who can come out on top i love that visceral like competitive part but your specific game though you didn't use any of those 3d elements you didn't climb the mountain or anything like that didn't need to I mean, we did. We played with flat terrain that was just already on the board. You know, I didn't even think of adding in that. I mean, granted, the physical terrain wasn't there to support that um, and probably didn't put the idea in my head like it might have for you. But, you know, my default is just going in playing by the numbers and playing your normal game because, you know, I really just enjoy that part of it. And I think you had a game against somebody later on that day, like you moved on to a different opponent and they were like, all right, hit me hard. I want to see what it's really like when, when I have to play against somebody that's really good at this game that game was with sam he was a 25 point brawl machine player for the longest time we also played red it was the first game that we played against each other and i asked him hey man like do you want me to go easy on you do you want me to not pull my punches and he said i want to see what this game is like at a competitive level and i said 
okay, man, let's go ahead and play. I run my guys up. I was playing Kalissa. He was playing Gary one. He threw all of his things up there. And on my following turn, I think I destroyed like at least half, maybe two thirds of his army. I killed his trident, most of his Rissavas and a lot of his models. And he was just kind of stuck. And he said, I don't know how to deal with this. And I told him like, I felt bad. But what I said is like, you did not ask me about my threat ranges, my threat extensions or anything like that. And that's why you lost as much as you did so then the following game he just understood these threat ranges a little bit better but that was awesome because he told me that he ended up playing a game online where he ended up using those tools against another opponent and he came out on top on that and he said it's just a different way of experiencing the game failure is the best teacher you get you get the sh kicked out of you and and you do not want that happening again i think this is an effective tool but it's not to be done without communication you don't want to be walking up to a table with a player that just put their 75th point worth of miniature together and put it on the table for the first time and give them that experience without discussing it first, because it could be a very big turnoff for some players. So I also had a game against a newer player that day before I did that flat terrain game. And one of the players that showed up said that they had 25 points worth of Signar. They were just getting back into the game. And so we threw down with a Brawl Machine game and it was Kozlov versus Striker 1. As the game was going, I was pretty well driving the boot in in terms of uh, scenario pressure. So over the five rounds of Brawl Machine, I was up several points and it wasn't looking like he was going to have a chance at winning on scenario or even keeping up with me on scenario. So very near the end of the game, there was a situation where he could charge Striker to the middle of the board and that gave him enough distance to reach out and you know blast my objective with his earthquake spell knocking Kozlov down and then come in to finish the job with his gun mages and I just kept thinking back to Jaden's podcast about teaching new players the game and these teachable moments where um where you can really see the light bulb going off and I think Don kept talking about that game for 30 minutes after we finished playing it he's like I, I never would have seen it unless Dan had suggested charge in, get the extra three inches of movement. And once you've successfully gotten to that location and completed your charge, now you have a higher range on your spell threat. You can get this applied, this tool applied. You don't, you don't just need to keep your caster in the back. That keeps them safe, but you can convert a losing scenario into a win in this game. You know, that's why assassination exists. And, and that is why you sometimes have to break the mold and make a desperate move. This was a good lesson. And, and I'm absolutely willing to take a game loss here and there um, if, I can, if I can produce that kind of teachable moment for somebody. Something somewhat similar happened. I, I also played Sam that day. And, uh, you know, Gary One's a complicated puzzle box to try and play and pilot sometimes. And sometimes you'll see an assassination play against yourself after your turn's over that your opponent doesn't see. And this is a really good opportunity for that kind of game to say, hey, I see something. Do you see what your next play is going to be? And if he's at a loss and he doesn't know what he's doing, maybe kind of ma help him manufacture that. You know, he's going to have to charge something random, gate crasher behind stuff, buy a bunch of stuff and make it work. But not everybody's going to see that on the board every time. So being able to manufacture that with him, measure it all out, make it work, figure it out. It's not, you're not giving them the game, but you're giving them the tools to understand how to play the game better in the future exactly you may not know that the tools in your toolbox and once you realize that this is an option going forward you just take that experience to every single game that you play going forward 
and you know it's why i know that i can do range assassinations like all the time depending on who i'm piloting yeah uh, it's exactly the same thing that i did these and you, you talk about how he would have to go through his rube goldberg to get that assassination andy i think that's a an excellent point because that is part of learning to grasp the tools that your faction brings to the table it's difficult as a newer player to get those scenarios it's something that comes mostly with experience and exposure and it can be very hard when you don't even know what to look for and what you need to do i think when teaching newer players and helping them grow in a structured environment is to show them the opportunities that would allow them to create success and everybody has these different experiences and everybody's coming to the hobby for different reasons so it's just important that everyone's on the same page are you there to learn are you there to get better are you there just to throw dice and have fun? And I think that's just helpful for everyone. And I think that that's how you get new people into the fold by actually knowing what their expectations for the game is. And it's not to say that your expectations can't meet. It's just having that open dialogue so that way your players know what is to be expected. You want to make sure that you have a good rapport with everybody so that way that they feel comfortable in order to have those conversations. And with that, I think that that actually gets us to the closure of this episode, right? Uh, if you want to build your community, you need to understand what the motivation is behind that and what the motivation is of your players. Are you trying to build, maintain, practice? You should understand the difference between meta or community. So for us in practice and what we're building here in Delaware, uh, we definitely see a distinction between the two. Like what Dan was saying earlier, if you build up your community, you know, you'll, you'll get those players. Uh, you'll get good players too, which will come full circle. You'll have good opponents and don't just see your opponent opponent as the person who is across the table rolling dice and moving miniatures around on the table it's another player it's 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 another person yep and that person is something you have to accept that that person is someone that you're going to need to put time and effort into you're going to need to be able to focus on the people aspect as well as the particulars of the game and that is going to be crucial to the success of any community is the members of that community and you need to be supportive and focused on them and welcoming to them in order to make sure that they do truly want to come back and to keep having this experience with you yeah it's, it's it's a balance it's like a yin and yang thing right so without a foundation of a community you're not going to have a meta because you're not going to have any players so you definitely have to find the find the balance between the two and you have to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page of what each other wants out of the game essentially you if you're going to be a very competitive player you're playing against a very casual player you have to know that it's not going to be fun for either of you to play, you know, your best tournament list to trounce them and then you go home and that's that's the end of the day. That's no no one gets much out of that unfortunately. And with that, that gets us to the end. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about the politics it's going to be pretty much like Game of Thrones. Oh, the tea! <laughs> We're going to be talking about how you end up coordinating with other metas in order to make sure that you're able to sustain not just your own meta, but the metas around you. So from all of us, we appreciate your time listening to this fourth episode, and we'll catch you on the last episode. Thank you for your time. Thanks, and goodbye. Bye. Bye. That concludes this episode of Tried and True. We hope you enjoyed your time listening to the podcast, and we look forward to having you on the next one. Until next time, gamers.